I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet at this time. Yes, in fact. We offer praise to the God whose ways are higher than our ways. We offer praise to the only wise God whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We offer praise to the one who went to Lazarus's tomb and he wept. He wept. Knowing he was about to raise him from the dead, but he wept. Mary and Martha did not understand his ways. They thought he was going to come and heal their brother. They didn't understand. But the Lord had another plan. And as I mentioned earlier, I know this week has been not only different but difficult. But we must trust the one and offer praise to the one whose ways are higher, whose thoughts are higher, and who weeps. It was the Lord who said, blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. He didn't say how they would be comforted or when. He just said they would be comforted. I would love to pray right now for anyone with questions, for anyone with fear, sorrow, sadness, brokenness, all those things that your pastor has. I'm going to pray, but if anyone wants to join me here up front, which we call the altar, the place to meet God, come on, let's pray together. And let's even pray for people who may not even know how to pray for themselves. You know, when the Israelites were fighting the enemy down in the valley with Joshua, we're still worshiping, amen. We're not spectating. Two men had to come and hold up Moses' arms. And prayer allows us to hold up each other's arms so that victory can be wrought. When we think about the shield of faith, we tend to think of an individual holding a shield of faith. But a brigade would have the shields of faith. And they would assemble together depending upon how the attack was coming. And their shields would protect not only themselves but the other soldiers behind them as they would assemble together. So we hold shields of faith today. Faith which allows us to overcome faith. My God. It's okay. Let's pray. Come on. Come on. Come on. Sometimes you got to move. Sometimes you got to do something. We're thinking of Covenant Presbyterian this morning. 
We're thinking of the school. We're praying for the families of Evelyn Dykos, William Kinney, Hallie Scruggs, Cynthia Peak, Mike Hill, and Catherine Kuntz. Father God, I'm so glad that you did not leave us without a witness. You sent your son into the world in human flesh to go through all the kind of stuff we go through, yet he never sinned. He's experienced heartache, betrayal, denial. He's seen what disease can do to a body. He's seen hungry people. Our Lord sat down with sinful people. I'm so glad that our Savior walked among us. And in moments like these, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You not only said that you loved us, but you showed that you loved us. And you wept over how sin had so ravaged the community and dare I say the world. You are a good God. You are a caring God. I thank you that one of your names is Emmanuel. God with us. And Lord, we don't always understand why you do what you do or why you allow what you allow. But where else can we turn? Who else can we go to? Because if you made total sense to us, you would not be the one who's higher than the heavens. Lord, we are finite, yet alone fallen. But I'm so glad that the Most High came down low to lift us up. You are the same God who said, let the children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God, I thank you that you're in control even when things get out of control. Lord, we've got folks in our body who are dealing with all kinds of issues and challenges and, challenges and trials. You told us that in this life, we're going to have problems. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have tribulation. This is not heaven. But you told us we can still be of good cheer because you are the one who has overcome the world. And Father God, we don't have to wait till next week to celebrate the power of the risen Christ. His power is with us every day. The truth of his lordship is with us every day. And we have hope to know that he is coming again. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Rescue us from the tyranny of oppression. Yes, Lord, we wanted to live in a world where all of your children will thrive and flourish. But God, we also know that all of that will not be until you truly come and the government is on your shoulders. But until then, we're not only going to not let a rock cry in our place. 
We're not going to let a problem, a circumstance, or a situation be an idol, be bigger than you, be stronger than you. No, God, we have a track record. We, we've tested you. We've tried you. We know what you can do. We know how you can turn mourning into joy. We know what you can do. So Jesus, I pray that you would give a fresh touch to your people right now. A peace that will surpass their understanding. The ability, Lord God, to, to leap and to dance in the midst of suffering. That, Lord, we can raise our hands not only to say, Lord, help, but to say, Jesus, you are good and you are the king and you are God. You are mighty. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are all of that. Nothing is going to take our praise. We hold up the arms of our friends in this community who have been hurt directly from this atrocity. We grab the shield of faith and ask that you extinguish every fiery missile of the enemy. That you would flood the church, the school, those families with the peace of God. Even with the joy of the Lord to be their strength. And when tomorrow comes, and when they get around that time of 10, 13 or so in the morning, Lord God, would you rebuke the liar? Would you hold back the enemy? And would you flood their soul with the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the touch of Jesus? Holy Spirit, meet them in a fresh way. Death has lost its victory, Lord, and the grave has lost its sting and its power. Why? Because our Savior got up. And none of us who know you worship a dead God. We worship a living God who gave us the Holy Spirit. Oh God, give us the power we don't have. Give us the kindness we don't have. And Give us that assurance we don't have in and of ourselves, but we have it through you. Use this as you have always used painful things in the past. You work it for good. Lord, I'm asking you for solutions. I'm asking you for leaders to stand up. I'm asking you, Lord God, for people who have the ability to influence lawmaking and Father God, they would repent of indifference and apathy for those who have yet to sell their soul to the devil, for those who have yet to, to, to compromise their conscience because of a love of lobbyist money. For the few, Lord, give them a backbone and let them stand up. And if they're not going to stand up for you, let them stand up for the children in our country. In Jesus' name. Let them stand up and do what is right. And make some policies and pass some laws to get these killing machines off of our streets. Send Kamala.
common sense to your people. And Father God, I pray against how your church, as many of the ones who caused the confusion, and rather than pouring water on this flame, the church is guilty of pouring gasoline on this flame. I pray, God, we, we keep asking for revival. Lord, may there be a revival of justice, a revival of righteousness, a revival of courage. Do it, Lord. As students prepare to walk out tomorrow and go back downtown again for another peaceful demonstration. We go back to Birmingham in our mind. When Dr. King enlisted children to walk the streets of Birmingham and children were arrested and children were hit with fire hoses and police dogs. And it was at that point that others outside of Birmingham, their hearts were broken when they saw what the children were doing. Lord, do something through the youth. Thank you for the students in our church. Thank you for how they lead us in so many ways. Thank you that they see things we don't see and they're willing to say things we won't say. We keep praying for this Joshua generation and for young people to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let it be so even now. Let it be so even now. Heal the land, oh God. Heal the land. Turn it around. There were people who said we could never stop Jim Crow. But look at this church right now. They said it could never change. But Lord, it changed. And it's changing. And shame on any government leader who says we just got to accept it the way that it is. No, God, no, we don't. Not while we're alive. And not why our children are here and, and our children's children. No, we will not accept defeat and death and compromise. No, God, we're your children. And we're ready to get into some good trouble. So, Lord, bless us to be a blessing. We love you, we honor you, and we thank you. Again, Lord, meet every need that's in this house. Financial emotional, spiritual, material. We trust you. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Can we praise God in advance? Can we praise him knowing that he heard us? He heard us. He's with us. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you ever wondered what you would have done during the days of Jim Crow and segregation, just look at what you're doing now and it'll show you a lot. Love will speak up. Love will show up. Love will stand up. Love will inconvenience itself. And as we're going to see today, love serves. 
Love serves. Watch this, John chapter 13. I'll begin reading at verse 1. I'll go to verse 5, then I'll pick it up at verse 12. If you don't have a copy of the word, uh, it should be on this one screen. I don't know what happened to my screen on the right. It just gave up the ghost. So amen. Pastor Jerry was going to make it this morning. Um, you know, he's had knee, reconstructive knee surgery. He was going to try to come. He was going to sit in the back where Deregis normally sits because he can't sit long. And uh, he was going to get up and, you know, while I was preaching, I, not, not like he was getting up saying, hey! No, he was going to get up to give his knee relief. But he just said, Pastor, I'm still not ready. He said, it's still too much pain. I said, hey, man, don't rush it. Don't rush it. I, I probably didn't give him the best illustration. I said, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon, and with his bad knee right now, his recovering knee, that probably wasn't the best illustration, but he's going to be all right. I love that brother. I miss that brother, but his impact is still felt because he's still working from at home, doing what he can. Amen. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So let's talk for a few moments on the subject of the king serves. The king serves. Let's pray. Thank you for the king who served then. And Father, for the king, your son, who serves now. The Bible lets us know, Lord, not only did your son assist you in creating the world, he is the one who is holding the world together by the power of his word. He serves us. He is the one who has given us oxygen and sunlight today. He serves us. We thank you, Lord God, that today he is the one who is making intercession for us right now at your right hand. He serves us. Help us, Daddy, to serve him well. Help us, Lord, to follow the example that was set forth. 
Thank you that we can do it with the help that you provide through the Spirit of God. May there be a revolution of serving in the house of God in Strong Tower Bible Church. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The King serves. Well, today is Palm Sunday. And 2,000 years ago, Palm Sunday was also the day which we call the triumphal entry Sunday. That is when Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem as the people waved palm branches. He rode into Jerusalem as prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9. Jesus saw the moment as it was unfolding as he found himself on the top of the Mount of Olives about to descend and come into the city. And he told two of his disciples to go find a donkey and bring it that he may sit on it and ride on it into the city because there was a whole lot of speculation because this Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And many people were celebrating him and honoring him. And so he understood the moment in God's timeline and God's calendar of events that following Hosanna would come crucifixion. So he rides into Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, fulfilling that scripture that Jerusalem, your king is coming to you humbly and riding on a donkey. And so he came and they adored him. Now the Bible says that when he had finished that trek through Jerusalem, the people started asking, who is this? And they said, oh, oh that, that's Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, a prophet. So some only saw Jesus as a prophet. Some who said some good things and did some good things, but there were others who saw him as a king, fulfilling scripture, because truly the king had come. Well, four days later from that Sunday, on what we call Monday Thursday in the Protestant church tradition, Jesus and his disciples sat in an upper room to eat the Passover meal. As we'll be reminded on Wednesday at our Seder, that the Passover feast lasted seven days. And so the Jews would do various things all week long to celebrate their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And Jesus, being a kosher Hebrew, being a Hebrew who kept the law, he also kept the Passover with his disciples. And so on this Thursday night, the same night in which he would be arrested, and on the next day tried falsely, and then crucified on Friday morning, it was on this Thursday, not only did he eat the meal with his disciples, but he washed the feet of his disciples. You see, in John chapter 13, we see one of Jesus' incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable means this is a trait or a quality that only God has. 
So we see one of his incommunicable attributes, and that was omniscience. Because as we just read, he knew that his hour had come and that it was time to go back to the father. In other words, he knew it was time to die. And even though he kept talking about dying, his disciples didn't really believe it. <laughs> he knew that his hour had come because up until that time, no one could kill him because his hour had not come. But now his hour had come as determined by God. He knew it. But we don't have that ability to know the time, the day, the hour, or the way in which we would die. We don't have omniscience. But not only that, he knew the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. So he knew from the beginning who the betrayer was. He wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. He didn't come to learn that information. He knew it. And that did not relieve Judas of free will, but the Lord knew it. We don't always know who the people are who are going to hurt us in the future. But we're called to love anyway. Well, not only do we see incommunicable attributes, we also see communicable attributes. And these are traits that God has that we can have too as people made in the image of God. Did you hear what I said? Uh, communicable attributes, traits and qualities that God has, but we also have because we were made in the image of God. And one of those attributes that's on display in John 13 is the attribute of servanthood. Servanthood. That's not one of those incommunicable attributes where only God has that. No, God has it. And we have the capacity to be servants like him as well. Well, how do we know that Jesus was a servant? Well, he washed 12 pair of feet that night. I said 12 pair of feet that night, which is 24 individual feet. I said 24 individual feet and 240 toes. Help me now. He washed more feet in one night, in one hour, than most of us will ever wash in our entire lives. Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Well, why did Jesus introduce this teaching and this example at this time? So much so that some churches have put foot washing into their ordinances as a church, communion, baptism, foot washing. You know, some churches have done that. Um, but why, 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 why did he do it at this time? Well, Luke chapter 22 lets us in on why he decided on this Monday, Thursday to wash the feet of his disciples. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So again, this is that Passover meal, that, that last supper time. Well, verse 15, excuse me, verse 24 rather. 
Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus is trying to instill once again into his disciples what greatness is all about. That is contrary to the world's way of being great. That in God's kingdom, up is down. And to be great is to be a servant. And so his guys are hearing him talk about this kingdom, this kingdom, this kingdom, and that he's going away, he's going away. And so now they're jockeying for position in terms of which one of them will be the greatest out of the 12. In other words, who's going to be the rabbi that's going to take his place, if you will? And they argued. And, and then John and James's mama came and said, Lord, um, can my son... John and my son James sit at your right hand and your left hand at your kingdom's return. And they started arguing about that amongst themselves. Because they're like, I wish my mama had thought about that before your mama did. <laughs> so they're arguing about greatness. So he has to teach them about what greatness really is. And we all need this message in our lives today. Imagine a father who is on his deathbed and he is a successful businessman and he's got businesses all across the country, again, very successful, but he's on his deathbed and he's surrounded by his children. He's got a few sons and they're around him and, and the father tells the sons, uh, the doctor says, I, I don't have much time left. I'm about to die. And rather than those sons having sorrow, rather than those sons grieving and doing whatever they can to make their father's last days as comfortable as possible, the sons get into a fight saying, I'm going to inherit the business. I'm going to run the businesses. And imagine the father sitting in the bed listening to his sons argue about who's going to be the greatest. And that's how insensitive the disciples were. And this was not the first time they would argue about greatness. So Jesus, who not only taught in word, but he taught also in word pictures. Because if you were a prophet, you would not only say what thus saith the Lord, but you would also do whatever you had to do to get people's attention by using physical illustrations. And so Jesus gave them an illustration by washing their feet. And so today, we're going to look at just three simple ways the king served the disciples in John 13. He served them intentionally. He served them humbly. And he served them unconditionally. He served them intentionally, humbly, and unconditionally. Let's move quick. Number one, the king served intentionally. Intentionally. Jesus' mission statement is found in Matthew. Chapter 20, verse 28, a mission or 
purpose statement, which helps us to crystallize the purpose of our lives. Jesus had one, and he said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he says, I came with a purpose to serve. I did not come here to be served. No, I came to earth to serve, even though I am the rightful king of the universe. I came with a purpose to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm so glad he fulfilled his mission statement. Well, in John chapter 13, verse 2 through 4, we see this mission statement unfolding of our Messiah coming to serve and to give. And it says in verse 2 of John 13, and supper being ended, so they have eaten, at least the main meal. The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. So we see that Jesus rose, verse 4, in order to serve. Jesus rose up. They were reclining at the table, and Jesus rose to serve them. In other words, he got up. Jesus got up to get down. I know we think about that with James Brown. You got to get up to get down. But Jesus got up in order to get down because greatness is found in serving. And we are most like God when we serve and when we give and when we forgive and when we love and when we sacrifice. So Jesus rose. He got up from supper. And one of the hardest things to do is to serve after you've eaten. Am I right about it? That's what we find who the servants in the house are. Has anyone ever heard the sermon at home that says, um, so you expect me to cook the meal, <laughs> set the table, and then clean up after the meal while you sit down and watch the game. Has anybody ever heard that sermon? I've heard that sermon, unfortunately, a couple of times in my life. Somebody heard the one, there are no maids around here. Somebody heard that. Somebody heard that. Somebody said that. Somebody preached that sermon. So one of the hardest things to do is to rise up and serve after you have a full stomach. You see, this is the same Greek word when it says that he rose. It's the same Greek word that's used when he talked about I will rise from the dead. Now, we're going to shout about him rising from the dead, but we get real quiet when we talk about who's going to rise up and serve. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to be shouting. We go, oh, he got up. But when we say who's going to rise up and serve, everybody shut up. We got to change that. Washing feet was an intentional and unexpected gesture. The disciples didn't see that coming. For a rabbi to wash the feet of his disciples was not a typical thing to do. But Jesus was not a typical rabbi. I thank God for leaders who choose not to be typical. I thank God for leaders who serve because they see their position 
as a gateway to serve, not as a gateway to simply rule. You can say what you want to say, but I thank God for President Barack Obama because there's an image that I will never get out of my mind that for me kind of capsulizes his presidency. And that was when he had gotten off of one of the helicopters and it was raining outside and he had two staff members with him. And they make sure the president has an umbrella. But the other folks don't have an umbrella. On this plane that has missiles and all kinds, y'all don't have more umbrellas than one? <laughs> but the commander in chief shared his umbrella with these two staffers so that they would not get wet. To me, that is what a leader does. That is being intentional to serve others. And in order to serve intentionally, we've got to make our mind up that we're going to serve because our flesh would rather be served than to serve. So we have to make our mind up that I'm going to serve, which means I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something to help somebody else out. I got to be intentional to serve. And when I serve intentionally, Lord, help me do it with a good attitude. Because don't nobody want you serving them with a bad attitude. Here, um, throw the plate on the table. Or, Here, give me your clothes. Here, hmm. Man, serve with a good attitude if you're going to do it. Another thing, the king served humbly. Verses four and five. And Supper being ended, the devil having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus laid aside his outer garments. In other words, he said, let, let, let me give y'all an example again of servants. I'm going to take off my regular robe. I'm going to lay it aside and I'm going to take a towel and I'm going to wrap it around my waist. In other words, he's putting on the clothes of a servant, of a slave. I said of a slave. Now, this is not the first time he laid his garments, his outer garments aside. Because according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, he laid aside a garment called the expression of his deity. Uh, Y'all should have got excited about that because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he made himself of no reputation. He, he emptied himself. Not of the possession of deity, but of the full expression of his deity. In other words, he says, I'm going to pour all of my power into this thing called flesh. And the one who is omnipotent with power that is unparalleled is able now to suffer nails going into his hands and a crown of thorns upon his head and he can be thirsty now. The one who is omnipresent in his glory chooses to be in one place at one time in human flesh. It's the mystery of God taking human flesh. So he laid aside the full demonstration of his glory and he put on what the Bible says, the humanity of of a slave. 
of a servant. So it's not the first time he's done this. He's done this before. But the question is, are we willing to lay some things aside in order to serve others? Will we lay aside pride? Will we lay aside animosity? Will we lay aside titles? Will we lay aside credit and who gets the glory? Will we lay aside these kinds of things so that we can be a servant of the Lord? Will we lay aside our opinions? Will we lay aside our comfort? Will we lay aside our appearances? Because, girl, it, it just don't look right if I do that. Well, there were Pharisees in Jesus' day who, when they wore their robes, they had wide phylacteries. In other words, they were trying to let you know that they were spiritual leaders. But Jesus didn't wear that stuff. And when he came time to take off his normal robe, he laid it aside. What am I not willing to lay aside to serve folk? Because I think I'm just a little too good for that. But I say I want to be like Jesus. Most of us don't mind being called a servant, but boy, do we mind being treated like one. And that's the fear many times. Oh, I don't like, because if I get down low, they might treat me like I'm low. Well, what Jesus did was not a pedicure on these brothers. It, it, it wasn't a pedicure. It, he washed feet. And I need to let you know that these feet and all them toes, they were funky. They wore open-toe sandals. They walked everywhere. Dust is everywhere. Dirt is everywhere. Not only were them feet stanky, them feet were rugged. Probably cut his finger trying to work on the feet because of all of the scabs and the, and the corns and all the bunions. And... But see, that's why I get pedicures. Put the picture up of me getting a pedicure just on Friday. Oh, it's crooked. That's Sister Anita right there. She's doing your pastor's feet. She calls me and says, come on in, Pastor. You know you need to get your feet done. I, I, I got ingrown toenail problem. And, uh, and she knows how to get in there and pull the toenail out and, and all that stuff. And, and when I sit in the chair, man, it's like, whoo, thank you, Anita. Thank you. Because she got to pull that, that file out because I got ash on the side of my feet. <laughs> Why y'all laughing? Some of y'all got... Some of y'all got that toe that go over on the other toe. I don't have that. But I do have a little athlete's foot from time to time, you know. Put the peroxide on my feet and all that stuff. That's a pedicure. That's not what Jesus did. No, he humbled himself and washed their feet, feet that were constantly exposed to the elements. You see, washing feet can be humbling. Getting your feet washed can be even more humbling. So if I were to ask you, have you ever had your feet washed? How did it feel? Man, that was humbling. If I ask you, have you ever washed anybody's feet before? How did you feel? Man, that was humbling. Which is why Jesus wants us to do it. But right here, he's not talking about getting your feet washed. He's talking about washing your neighbor's feet. Because watch this. 
When somebody of significance or prominence washes your feet, it makes it even more humbling. Or when you see someone of significance or prominence uh, washing the feet of undesirables, it makes it even more powerful and humbling. The Pope, several years ago, on Palm Sunday, he would go out and wash the feet of prisoners. The Pope, the Pope, the one that people feel, if I can just see him, if I can just touch him, if he could just bless me, if he could just touch me, throw some holy water on me, the Pope. This Pope, not, not all Popes have done this. Now, not all Popes have done it, but I believe it's Pope Francis established a tradition of saying, I'm going to wash the feet of prisoners. I'm going to wash the feet of students. Because something happens to you when you see someone of greatness going low. That means there's no excuse for the rest of us not going low because the person we look up to is going low. But I'm not talking about the Pope. I'm talking about Jesus. You see, pedestals are not made for humans. Not even the best of us can handle them because eventually they will bring out the worst in us. Dealing with pride, wash some feet. Dealing with self-centeredness, Wash some feet. Kendrick Lamar was right. Kendrick Lamar, sit down. Be humble. Three of y'all got that. Or the rest of y'all didn't want to admit that you knew what I was talking about. Thirdly and finally, sit down. Be humble. The king served unconditionally. He served intentionally, he served humbly, and thank God he served unconditionally. Verse 12 says, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again. When he had washed their feet, imagine washing the feet of someone who hurt you. Okay, pastor, I'm hearing you say, I need to serve, I need to go low. But how do I serve someone who has hurt me? Or how do I serve someone who has hurt someone that I love? I want to serve with conditions because you don't know what my father did to me. You don't know what my mother did to me. I, I had a friend, a faithful friend, and they lifted up their heel against me. You are telling me to serve them? My spouse, serve my, you don't know what living with this man is like, what living with this woman is like. To serve my children, those ornery little, you, to serve them, to serve a pastor, to serve a teacher, to serve a wicked politician. Well, there are many ways to serve, and one way to serve is by praying for folks, because if you've got an issue with somebody, praying for them will help keep your heart from getting hard. Because sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is literally pray. Not just say it, but do it. No wonder he said, pray for your enemies. Because anybody can love people who love them. But man, if you can love people who mistreat you and abuse you, wow, you are growing to be like Christ. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you accept abuse but man, serve those who've abused you by praying for them. Because we often put conditions on 
who we will serve and who we will not serve. But that was not Jesus. Oh, I close. I'm getting closer to the close. Because Jesus served his disciples unconditionally when he washed their feet. Pastor, prove it. I'll prove it. When he washed Judas's feet, he knew that Judas was going to walk out that room and betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He, already, he knew it, but he still washed his feet. That's unconditional servanthood. He knew Peter, who said, I'll never deny you. No, not me. They may fall away. No, not me. Jesus washed his feet, knowing that Peter would deny him once, twice, three times. Still washed his feet. That's unconditional service. What about the other ten? Because after Peter said, I'll never deny you, the other ten said, uh, we won't either. Jesus has said, the shepherd will be struck tonight and all of you will fall away. All of you are going to forsake me tonight. No, we won't. And they did. And he washed their feet anyway. What did Jesus really get from washing the feet of someone who would betray him, deny him, and those who would forsake him? He got very little back. And before we leave that back there, Jesus washes our dirty feet daily with mercy, knowing we're still going to make messes throughout the day. His love is not based on conditions or our performance because God knows we're like sheep. He knows we go astray. That's why his grace must superabound over our junk. And we better thank God that he serves unconditionally. He didn't say, you know what? I'm not giving you oxygen today because you were tripping yesterday. <laughs> now, Romans chapter two, verse four says, don't you know the kindness of God leads us to repentance? He's been so good to me in spite of how bad I've been to him. He still, he'll bless you into obedience. My, who, who else but God? See, Jesus came to serve, but he did so with the motive of glorifying his father. And as a result, the people benefited. His focus wasn't primarily on people. His focus was on the father. And as a result, people got blessed. A lot of times we struggle serving because our focus is on the people and not on God. But when our focus is on God, we can serve people. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3 says. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. So I serve Jesus and you just happen to be beneficiaries. Because if I set out serving you and you go sideways, then I might go sideways with you. We might have to, you know, exchange a few things. But, but, but when my focus is on, Lord, I'm going to serve you in spite of that helps me get through and not lay unholy hands on people. Yeah, Nelson Mandela said it best. He said, character is how you treat those who can do nothing for you. How you treat those. Who can do? Can you serve people who can't serve you back? That's why the motive has to be right. So King Jesus came to serve, but will his followers? Jesus said the way to greatness is in service. Jesus served intentionally, humbly, and unconditionally. Well, it was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who once said, 
everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. I'm so glad that he practiced what he preached. Because in Memphis, Tennessee, in 1968, the year I was born, Dr. King, who had been named the man of the year by Time Magazine, Dr. King, who had preached in 1963 from the Lincoln Memorial, talking about a dream, probably the most well-recognized and most famous black man in America. He chose to go to Memphis to stand up for the rights of striking sanitation workers. He didn't stay on a pedestal when people put him up. No, he came down. Why? Because Jesus was motivating his soul and his philosophy of life. And he not only goes to serve striking sanitation workers, but he goes and he stays in the Lorraine Motel, a black-owned motel. Motel, motel, that means you enter your room from the outside. We got some bourgeois folk up in here who won't go to a motel because you got to enter from the outside. You only want to go to places that you can enter from the outside inside and had King been bourgeois he might have found a hotel that could bring him in on the inside so that he doesn't get shot from the balcony but he's a servant and he comes to Memphis to help sanitation workers he died serving garbage men to let them know that although they work with garbage they are not garbage. They are men and women too. The ultimate act of serving is to lay your life down for others. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Lay it down. Serve. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Because I got to believe, I got to believe that if it's more blessed to give than to receive, it's got to be more blessed to serve than to be served. But how many of us will know that because we're so used to being served? In John 18, verse 8, Jesus told the mob that came to arrest him, if you seek me, let these men go. You're coming for me. Let these guys go. That's what a servant leader does. A servant leader lays down his life, her life, for others. Even if you don't do it actually, do it figuratively. Do it by example. Lay yourself down. That's greatness. Let these folks go. And on Monday, headmistress, Catherine Kuntz was in her office, the principal of Covenant School, and she heard shooting going on. She got off of her Zoom call, and as the leader of the school, 
she put herself in harm's way and ran to the gunfire as opposed to away from it. No doubt she just reacted naturally because that's what leaders do. We serve, we go, we give. And she went. And my friend, police chief John Drake has said, the way that her body was discovered, it appeared that she was coming towards the shooter. And the way Mrs. Koontz's body was laying, they said she was coming and she laid her life down for the students. So I know last month was Women's History Month, but I got to take some time to give honor to Mrs. Koontz, who is a Christ-like figure because she gave of herself to serve and protect the children and the other teachers under her care because that's what leaders do. And that's why we are honoring not only King Jesus, but people like Mrs. Coates. Would you stand with me to pray? Strong Tower, we, we need to have a church that outserves each other. And one way you know you're growing is that people don't have to always ask you to do something. You, you do it without being asked. Because you see needs in place. And you do it. Last week, while we were in the fellowship hall, one of the students came to me, Sister Anaya, who I just baptized. And she came to me, and I was sitting at the table enjoying the chili and the hot dogs. And, and she came to talk to me, and she said, Pastor, I like to dance, and I want to dance for Jesus. And I've got some sisters here at church who want to do a dance for the Lord. We, we want to get the dance ministry. We heard there used to be a dance ministry. Here. We, 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 we want to dance for Jesus. In other words, I want to use my gift to serve the king and bless the body. So Pastor Isaiah and I went over to her and her homegirls and they told us what they wanted to do. And we were like, by all means, do what the Lord has put in your heart. Not only did Anaya show leadership, but she showed servanthood. I need for some adults to follow the example of Anaya. Because God's put some stuff in your heart to do. The strong tower just isn't doing it anymore or we're not doing it at all. And you need to step to Pastor Jerry, one of the elders, myself, and say, I want to do this. It reminds me of when... Uh, we started doing divorce care and when we started doing grief care because people had walked through some stuff and they said, I want to start that here. Stop waiting for people to ask you to serve. Jump in and serve. Find a place. I'm going to tell you a need right now. Our hospitality ministry is lacking. It was strong before COVID. Then when COVID hit and we came back to church with piecemealing and try, we don't have anybody over or a team over hospitality. So on Wednesday nights, my wife is glad to serve, but her time can be better utilized going around strengthening, encouraging, touching, praying, than putting hot dogs in buns. She's not above it. Any more than Jesus was above serving, but Jesus didn't hand out the fish and the bread after he multiplied it. 
Because you know some people, mm, he, could, he could make the miracle, but how come he ain't serving? There's some people that's going to always be, he served when he made the miracle happen. And other people had to go out there and, and deliver them fish sandwiches and then pick them back up again. We need some people to put a team together, men and women, who will be over hospitality on Wednesday nights. Because right now, guess who's doing the Seder? My staff. They're happy to do it. And I know many of you show up when we do the food, and I thank you for that. But we need an organized team so we can stop wondering who's going to show up. And we know that there's a group that's going to do it. And you handle. Man, we need some coffee here in the mornings. Out here, man. Who's going to do that? You serve. I believe the Holy Spirit got his finger on somebody right now. So if you want to roll up on me and talk to me or pass, well, Pastor G ain't here. Hey, Pastor G, what's up, homie? We'll see you hopefully next week on Easter, baby. Come talk to us. Let's pray together, Strong Tower. Lord, we thank you that we get to be here. We get to be a part of your church. Lord, you found us in an ash heap. We were in the miry clay. We were lost. We weren't seeking after you. We were dead in sin. But Jesus, you came to us. You made us alive in yourself. You gave us new life, new meaning, new purpose. We are not our own anymore. We've been bought with the price. And you told us that life is found when we give our lives away. But we lose life when we try to hold on to our lives and, and do what we want to do and just protect us. But no, Lord, life is found in giving. Life is found in serving. Lord Jesus, do a revival and strong tower of servanthood. Lord, you blessed our giving. We thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless our giving even more because not all of us are still participating in giving. Lord, bless our serving in the church. Might we be quick to serve and not just let the deacons do it or the staff do it, but might we say, I'm going to do it. Trouble that person who's out of fellowship because they're not serving. Lord, if there's somebody here who needs to know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. You just say, Jesus, I want to be saved. Jesus, I want to be born all over again. Jesus, I want to be forgiven. Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the grave for me. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. The Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you made that call today, come shake my hand and say, Pastor, today I, I asked Jesus to save me. And finally, if there's someone here, Lord, who doesn't have a church home and they need a church home, Lord, we don't want to be out here on these streets without a sheepfold. We want to be part of a community in an official way. If that's you and you need a church home and you think this might be the place, come fill out one of my cards after church and we'll get some information to you. You've got to have a church home. If not this place, another place. Make it official. Father, we love you so much. And we bless you on this Palm Sunday. Yes, we say Hosanna to the King. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, save us now, O oh Jesus. For we ask it all in his mighty and matchless name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Can you hug a couple people before you go? Can you hug a couple people before you go? And we'll see you on Wednesday for the Seder. Make sure you register.
register, holler.